0: Hello, church. Each Sunday in September, we're going to be having sermons on the book of Ecclesiastes. This Sunday, uh, Pastor Sam has asked me to lead it off with the first sermon that uh, will introduce the book to you. And then next Sunday, Pastor Gracie will deliver the sermon, uh, following the next Sunday with Pastor John, and then following the fourth Sunday, being Youth Sunday. And so I hope if you have not read and pondered the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll do so this, uh, this month in September. I've titled my sermon, Deep learning in Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is probably the least read, the least understood, and the least appreciated of any book in the Bible. Many Christians over the centuries, and even today, prefer simply to ignore the book. Christians uh, Ignore it, and yet it's in the Jewish and the Christian canons of scripture. Because the themes in this book are not the ordinary themes that you read in most of the rest of the Bible, especially the Old Testament. The theme of the Exodus is not present in the book of Ecclesiastes, the theme of the covenant. Even the theme of faith is not part and parcel of the book of Exodus. But still, the book has something vital to say. And uh, the book uh, purports to have been uh, written uh, uh, by King Solomon. I say it purports. But very few scholars, if any, actually believe that Solomon wrote the book. Solomon lived about 1,000 BCE, and scholars think this book was written in post-exilic times, that means after the Babylonian exile. They believe uh, that it was probably written around 400 BCE. Why did they believe this? One reason is it has a lot of Aramaisms, which were not known during the time of Solomon. Also, it has a lot of Persian loan words which were not present in the day of Solomon. So it's because of reasons like this, linguistic as much as anything, that they don't believe that Solomon wrote it. So why is it purports to be from Solomon? Well, one of the things that happened back at that time was that sometimes when something was written, a well-known person's name was attached to it. Now, we would uh, look askance on that today, would we not? Because we have such a thing as uh, plagiarism, and we have such a thing as being untruthful. But that was not present during this time. Now, this book comes from uh, a group of book call, books called Wisdom Literature. They include the Book of job, the book of uh, of uh, uh, the Song of Songs, and the Book of Ecclesiastes. In some cases, uh, scholars refer to these books as polemical books, books that push against the tradition of the day, <clears throat> because they have something to say, the ones who write at this time that may uh, not be kosher, if you'll allow me to use that word kosher to the tradition. And so that's why many scholars believe that Ecclesiastes is a pushback book. Still nevertheless it has something especially important to say to us. Now the name Ecclesiastes, Is a Greek term uh, and it's a uh, that was a name the book was given when the Hebrew book of Ecclesiastes was translated into Greek in what's known as the Septuagint version of the Bible, the Greek version of the Bible. But the Hebrew term for the book is Kohelet. Usually spelled with a K, but it could be spelled with a Q. Kohelet. And the author identifies himself as a teacher. In fact, the teacher. So it comes from this uh, time of the ancient Near East, the same time, basically, that the Greeks had Uh, the great teacher Socrates. Now, Socrates had a method of teaching. His method was a question and answer method. So Socrates would pose a question to his students, and he would get his students to try to answer that question. And Then it would go back and forth. He would ask another question and another question and back and forth. It was a dialogue. So uh, I believe that the book of Ecclesiastes is in that same vein as Socrates was teaching. And so Socrates was doing a question and answer. He was calling his students into a dialogue, a dialogue with him about whatever the uh, topic was. Likewise, I think this... uh, author of the book of Ecclesiastes is calling his readers, his listeners, his students into a dialogue. And indeed, I believe he is calling us into a dialogue itself. Now, when we read this book, there's one particular phrase that comes about every chapter or so. In fact, several times in some chapters and that's called vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now, we have a certain sense of what vanity means today, but that's not what he means, what we mean today. It doesn't mean somebody standing in front of a mirror and trying to make himself or herself uh, look good. Vanity back in that day, and the classical meaning of the word vanity is It's without meaning, something that is meaningless. Now, sometimes that word vanity is translated in certain Bibles to be vapor. He says everything is vapor. It disappears. It has no substance. Now, if we were to use a word today that has come about um, probably in the last 50 years or so, it would be absurdity. It's all absurd. That's what he's saying in this book. He is saying, now listen carefully though, he is saying, but I don't think this is what he means, and I'll explain what I mean by that. He is saying that life is absurd. We are born, we live, and we die, and that's it. It's absurd. Absurdity of absurdities. Everything is absurd. Now, I think even though that's what he's saying, he is using a teaching uh, technique. He is uh, appearing to be saying this. No question about it. He says it over and over again. But I think embedded in him saying that is really a question when he says, Absurdity of absurdities, vanity of vanity, all is vanity, I think, between the lines, he's saying, do you think so, students? Is that what you think? Push back. He is calling them into dialogue. Now, teachers have sometimes done this. It's called role-playing, right? And sometimes teachers have done role-playing with their students. Back in, uh, way back in 1963, uh, when myself and about 75 other uh, young people were having a missionary orientation to go to different places of the world. And uh, I was, uh, by the grace of God, sent to a place, a wonderful place called Malaysia. But during that six-week orientation, we had lecturers on different uh, topics And there was one lecturer, if you will, whose name was Daniel Fettler. He was a professor of New York University. He was born and raised in the Ukraine. So when he came to give us uh, a teaching, if you will, about communism, which he had grown up under, he did role playing with us. We didn't even know he was playing role playing but we figured it out after a time. Because what he did was he uh, presented communism as if he were a communist. He didn't even tell us, I'm not a communist, but he presented it as if he was a communist. And wow, did it get our attention. And wow, did we push back against him. And out of that dialogue that we had with him, then came our understanding of communism back in that particular day. He was trying to convince us in this dialogue and this role-playing that communism was superior to capitalism. And of course, we were all Americans, and oh, that can't be true. But we came to understand because we experienced as if he was trying to convince us of communism. So he was the teacher. And in those six weeks, he's the only one of the uh, teachers that we had in the orientation that I remember. It stuck with me because that stuck with me. So he also coupled with this idea of dialogue and pushback, he coupled uh, the Uh, the uh, recommendation of the great American uh, teacher, uh, John Dewey, and John Dewey says nothing is really learned unless it's experienced, and we were experiencing uh, that we were hearing from a communist and that we were uh, pushing back. So we experienced that and we learned well. So this particular author I think is doing just that. Now there's another term we can use of that for this and we have used this term often time, and that's uh, is playing the devil's advocate. He was playing the devil's advocate. And so in uh, appearing to be uh, a communist we were able to understand uh, from our experience and from our involvement with that, our dialogue with him, uh, what it was all about. Now, I think this is the key to understanding the book of Ecclesiastes. To see this man, who is called himself in Hebrew, Kohaleth and is called in Greek, Ecclesiastes, to see him uh, as a teacher who is calling his students to be involved with him. I think it's a kind of genre of literature. I think the same thing happens in the uh, book of Job and the same thing even happens in the book of the Song of of Psalms as well. So we have certain hints in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes that this man named Kohelet, the teacher, is actually somebody who believes deeply He believes deeply in the faith of Israel. He believes deeply in God. And he sprinkles things throughout his book that are actually uh, in between all of these times that he says vanity of vanity, it's all meaningless. He sprinkles these things. And here are some of the things that he actually uh, sprinkles in. He will say that... uh, Wisdom exceeds folly as light exceeds darkness. He just drops that in, in between all these vanity of vanities. It's sort of like uh, to give the students another way of chewing on what he's saying. Another thing that he says, there is nothing better uh, for mortals than to eat and drink and find enjoyment in their toil. See, that's all very positive. And then he will say at another time, "Um, I know there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy uh, oneself as long as you live. So he's dropping these hints in between saying it's all without meaning. Then he says, wisdom uh, makes one's face shine. He says, go. Eat your bread with enjoyment, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has long ago approved what you do. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, right, but the heart of a fool inclines to the left. And then here's another one. Uh, Send out your bread upon the waters for after many days you will get it back. Uh, Maybe you've even quoted that from time to time, not knowing it's from the book of Ecclesiastes. And one of my favorite is he says, remember your creator in the days of your your youth and forevermore for that matter. And he says then as he sums it all up, In the last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of everyone. But he is asking throughout the book, what do you think? Do you think that life is meaningless? Do you think it has no use life? That we are born, we live and we die? Because he's wanting uh, wants to experience. He wants ones to prove their faith. That's why I called this sermon uh, Deep Learning in the book of Ecclesiastes. I think that's what he wants us to do. I think that's what uh, God calls us to do. I think that's what Jesus as well. Now, to be honest, uh, the author, uh, Kohelet, did not have the hindsight that we have in terms of Jesus' resurrection, in terms of life after this life. And so he didn't have that also as something he could uh, remind the people. Remember, when this life is over, there's a larger life that's coming. There's a life when you will reside in the full presence of God. But for him, because we don't have that sense in the Old Testament. There's no real clear sense in the Old Testament of life beyond this life. And he's a, he's a person, a creature of the Old Testament. And we have this hindsight ourselves. But still he's saying to all of us, and it can be applied in our lives, that we should probe our faith. We should own it for ourselves, and we should experience our faith. And then we can say, uh, as the great uh, person Job said, I had heard of thee, but now my eye sees thee. And so I hope that you will take time during this month to read the entirety of the book of Ecclesiastes. You'll hear three more sermons on it, and maybe that will also Uh, stimulate you uh, to look more fully into Ecclesiastes. So if you will pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for the word that you give to the many people throughout the Bible and throughout history whom you have called to shed light on what it means to be your follower, what it means for you to be our God. We ask you to help us to know deeply a sense of your presence and thereby to go out and proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus to everyone in our everyday living, in our goings and comings, and in the way that we live our lives. For it's in Christ our Lord that we pray. Amen.